he just knows how to play. Uh, again, uh, the Utah program is a great program, but he's a, his basketball IQ is big. So you tell him one thing once, he usually picks it up. DeRozan into the corner, Van Vliet for three. Good, down the bottom of the well for Fred. I just want to get out there and have some fun, and, and I think it was one of our signature things where we go out there and kind of close the game out as a unit. It's about that time, your favorite time of the week, when it's just these two cats talking basketball Toronto Raptors style. This is Jurassic Pod, Wheeler and Lewenberg with you yet again. An up and down week for the Raptors. And we got it all as we are officially in the stretch run of the NBA season. At Wheeler TSN, at JLU1050. How's your week, Josh? Good, Good okay? Is, it, is this officially the stretch run? Like, when did that begin? Well, now it's like, that it's like spring. I never know when it officially starts. Well, it officially starts for me when baseball starts. And this week is the so first week of tomorrow. baseball. That's on Thursday. Right. right? So I feel like we're here. Uh, and the basketball games now, between now and the end of the season, you're kind of just seeing who's healthy, who's playing who come playoff time. I compare it to the NHL right now. There's so many more balls in the air right now in the NBA than there actually is for the NHL. Yeah, like I don't know if I agree with that. Like I think it's more than just playing out these games and watching the standing. Like, the next three games are huge. Right? Boston, Cleveland, Boston. Like, this is a this is a big stretch for the Raptors. Granted, they look like they're in a, a pretty good spot, a fairly decent lead for first place. But, I mean, you play the team that you're competing with twice over the next, what, three games? Like, that That could be a huge swing in one direction or the other. Plus, it'll determine... Do you think it's that huge? Like, really, like, I do. Do you see a scenario playing out... Where the Raptors can be knocked off their perch, first place in the Eastern Conference. Yes. Legitimately. I don't think it's especially likely uh, because, again, the, the, the Raps have a pretty comfortable lead. Boston doesn't have Kyrie Irving. But, hey, the, I mean, the Celtics are playing really well without Kyrie. And, and like I said, I mean, those two games, if you lose those two games, if you're the Raptors, like that, that's a huge swing. All of a sudden, the lead is down to one, one and a half. Boston has the tiebreaker, and they've got an easier rest of the season schedule than the Raptors do. Maybe, but it's not, it, there's nothing that's going to be simple. So Wednesday night, we're recording this podcast Wednesday afternoon. They play the streaking Utah Jazz. Few teams are hotter in the NBA. Then they play the Raps, Bucks, and then the Raps again. Those are four tough games for the Boston Celtics. That's and true. they have a date with the Wizards, who are going to be jockeying, playing for playoff positioning. We'll see if John Wall returns by that time. So, sure, it might be easier on paper than the Raptors, but they got tough games across the board as well. And no Kyrie? That makes a huge difference. That's why I'm, I have a feeling that these next three games for the Raptors, it's the Boston Celtics sandwich with LeBron James right in the middle. I just feel it's more about perception than anything else. Something that we've been talking about for weeks now with this team. I don't. I, I still really? think. I still think first is in play, and, and I've been saying this even throughout the. I mean, there, there was all that hype before the Houston game. There was hype before the Cleveland game last week. I had been saying this. I will continue to say this up until tip off on Saturday. I believe Saturday is the biggest regular season game for the Raptors. Wow! Really? I do. Both in terms of the litmus test going up against a Celtics team, again, even without Kyrie, that's playing really well. I feel like we're right flipping now. roles here. I feel like Josh Lewenberg's playing the role of Gareth Wheeler, and Gareth <laughs> Wheeler's playing the role of Josh Lewenberg. And then, and then in terms of the standings, like this could do it. If you win that game on Saturday, 
And then especially if you win uh, the game in Cleveland, then all of a sudden, like, I, listen, I, I get that you're going to see Boston again a few days after that in Toronto. But if you win the game on Saturday, which you should coming off all that rest, three days off, and then you win in Cleveland, then what, what you do in the second night of that back-to-back against Boston almost doesn't even matter at that point. You can put first place basically on ice here over the next couple games. Over the course of this podcast, we, we want to get into Serge Ibaka, his play as of late, the present and future of Fred Van Vliet, what lays ahead for the Toronto Raptors, and how an injury to Steph Curry may reshape the way we look at the Western Conference. We'll get into all of that a little bit later on, but let's continue to hammer this home because I was of the opinion and have been of the opinion, it matters what happens beneath the Raptors and Celtics right now more than what plays out between the Raptors and Celtics because the Cleveland Cavaliers are coming off an ugly loss in Miami. I believe they're 4 of 26 from distance. They got crushed by Eric Spolstra. And I put the head coach first because, man, oh, man, he coaches that team up better than anyone else. But if the Cavaliers continue to fall and the Philadelphia 76ers continue to rise and who knows about the Pacers, then the, the, the playoff picture and where you finish first or second, that's dramatically influenced by what happens underneath you. That's where I'm looking right now, Josh. Not so much at the Raptors Celtics. I think it's done. I think it's Vince Carter. It's over. That's how I feel about the top. But man, three through eight or three through seven, let's be honest, we'll see. I'm not so sure. And I, that's where I think there's a lot of meat on that bone right there. For lack of a better term, I will say that would suck. That would suck for the Raptors if the Sixers dropped the fourth. If the Sixers overtook the Cavs for third, can you imagine? You, you've got to go through Cleveland in the second round to make it to the conference finals. Meanwhile, a, a Boston team potentially without Kyrie Irving and a very a, a red hot but very inexperienced 76ers team, they'll be playing for a much easier uh, slot at, at, at in in the conference finals. I, that that would be brutal. And, and the Sixers have an Easy schedule, Josh. They won seven games in a row heading into tonight's game against the Knicks. They get the Hawks, Hornets, Nets, Pistons. That's their next five games. Then that date that could influence everything, they play the Cleveland Cavaliers in Philly. Then Mavs, Hawks, Bucks. Like, man, that's a, that's one tough game on the schedule coming home for the Sixers. I'm they not- can run the table here. Coming home. I'll tell you this, and this I, is, I don't think they will, but they could. This is this is not a popular opinion because the the Sixers are the sexy team right now, but I'm not buying it. Not this year. I'm not. I mean, they they're going to be good for a, a long, long time, and this season the playoff experience they're going to get is going to be huge for them down the line because we weren't even quite sure if they'd make the playoffs going into this season. I, I wasn't sure. I thought they'd be right on the cusp. So they're going to get that valuable experience, but I think it's going to be a rude awakening for them for a number of reasons. For young players that have never made the playoffs before, it, it's a different animal. It, there, there's a learning I'm with curve you. there. There, the the Raptors went through it. The box we saw last year, they went through it. But more than anything else, I mean, these are great players in Embiid and Simmons and and now Fultz. These are good players, but they're players still at this stage in their careers that have significant holes in their game, particularly Ben Simmons, a guy who 
who doesn't shoot the three ball. So mm-hmm. in the same way that the Raptors faced this over the last couple of years, DeRozan, a guy with holes in his game, uh, Lowry, a guy that had been hurt, uh, when teams have the time, two, three weeks, whatever it is, to really lock in on what you do, it's not a game-to-game, we're going to a different city tomorrow, uh, who, who cares what happens here. When, when teams can really lock into what you do, when teams are all of a sudden daring Ben Simmons to shoot and taking things away from Embiid, how do you react to that? And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe uh, they're so good, so talented, that they fight through that and prove Prove me wrong, prove people wrong, but I would bet against them in their first playoff. They'll be a tricky out. Yeah, I'm not sure I would want to see them, but at the same time, like I said, if the if the options here are facing the Cavs in the second round or facing the 76ers, like that is night and day. And that's where I'm I am absolutely a hundred percent with you. That's why if the Cavs do drop to the fourth spot or the or or even the fifth spot. Which could legitimately happen. Like, this is a reality here. Then everything's thrown off, and you're not being rewarded for coming away with the first seed. Other than with home court advantage. That's it. Do the Raptors throw that game in Cleveland on Tuesday? Yes. Yeah. Well, indirectly so, yes. And that matters more than perception. Because I gave you the Sixers schedule. I mean, the Cavaliers aren't walking down dead man's row either. No. Hornets, Pelicans at home. Pelicans have been rolling, but still, Cavs at home, you'd think they'd win that ballgame, Josh. Mavs, then the Raptors, uh, Wizards at home again, then that game against the 76ers, Knicks-Knicks to finish the year. So if they get through, that, that's why that third to final game of the season, Cavs-Sixers, yeah, that's that can huge. go a long way to determining what happens. And if the Raptors are, you know, th- that's why for me, that's where the meat is. It's, I listen, the Celtics have gone on a nice little run without Kyrie, but come on, their ability and their ceiling is capped if they don't have their all star starting point guard. It just is. And yep. we don't know. He might not return this season at all. And I think that if you're Danny Ainge and the Boston Celtics and Brad Stevens and company, you're thinking, we're playing with house money right now. Agreed. We lost Hayward from the start of the year. This will be valuable, valuable experience for Tatum, for Brown, two very good young players. But our year, quite frankly, will probably probably be next year. When LeBron will be elsewhere. Heck, it might be Philly, but it's elsewhere other than Cleveland. And we'll roll the dice with a healthy Kyrie, with Hayward coming back, with who knows what other pieces they'll add, that that team will be that much better. My, I, I still believe Dwayne Casey should win Coach of the Year and will win Coach of the Year, but my stance has sort of softened on that over the last Ooh, week or two. Okay, and, and it has nothing to do with the Raptors' mini slide here, because as I'm sure we'll talk about, I'm not nearly as concerned about what the Raptors have been doing over the last week or two as some people uh, were or are. Uh, but. For me, I'm looking around the rest of the NBA, and again, no disrespect on Dwayne Casey. I, I I thought he was great in the win over Denver on Tuesday, uh, going with the hot hand in the fourth quarter, making some uh, big-time uh, decisions. But what Boston is doing without Hayward for all but five minutes this year and without Kyrie, I mean, how many teams in the NBA could withstand losing two All-Stars outside of Golden State who have four all-stars 
to spare. Well, the crazy story is the Pelicans. Let's be honest. They lost one of two big guns on that team. So there you go. Brad Stevens, Alvin Gentry. You, you look at what Terry Stotts has done in Portland. Brett Brown, while we're talking about Philadelphia. Like, there are a lot of coaches this year that are deserving. Uh, Nate McMillan in Indiana uh, exceeding all expectations. So Quinn Snyder in Utah. Yeah, so, Who would have saw that coming? So when I say, like, I, I, I truly believe Dwayne Casey is the most deserving of those guys. I think he'll win it. But if anything, that's even more credit to Casey because this isn't a cakewalk. This isn't a one-man race like, in my opinion, the MVP is. Uh, there are a lot of deserving candidates okay. here, and I think Dwayne Casey's at the top of that list. So you're going to stand by that statement that this is a big week for the rap? This could be a defining week for the raps. You're not willing to go that far? Well, like, listen, if you, if you lose all three of those games, not only are the optics terrible going into the playoffs, and you might lose... Your momentum, if if you believe in momentum, see, going I don't to the think playoffs. they do. I, I think there's no zero. You heard it here first. Zero chance, zero percent chance they lose all three games. Oh, I don't think they will. <laughs> I don't think they will. But they, you ask how big this week is, and I say it's big because it, I think you, you need to win. I, I don't think you need to win, but I think you should win two out of the three. And if you somehow lose all three like that, that's bad. It's it's bad both in terms of the optics, which I, I think are, are are something. It's not nothing. And then right. also in terms of the standings, if you lose all three games, then yeah, I mean you you are not the only, in a comfortable spot anymore. The only way that first, it would work, and I think first is important. Yeah. See, I I don't think they'll relinquish first first place. But if somehow that happens and the Sixers end up as the third place team, then, then there's the win. Then it's for the best. <laughs> yeah. So. A lot you of can't, you can't plan that. Stuff, a lot obviously. of movement, though, and and that's why the NBA should never make like the NHL and go with these divisional rivalries coming out. It's ridiculous. I don't even. Under, uh, I still after no, how many years it's been. I still don't understand how that works. So so dumb. And even with the start of the baseball season, this was my transition. There is so much that makes the NBA the most watchable professional sports league going on right now, worldwide. It's just the, the dramatics, the star power, the quality of play, and the level of unknown. Well, listen, that's that's the thing, right? Because for me, I, I love the NBA. I think it's a, a great league. Um, I think it's the best league in so many different ways, but there were... I was going to say there was one major concern with the NBA going into this season. I guess there's two. because Cavs the, Warriors. The, Cavs Warriors. Well, yes. So I'll, I'll get to that in a second. The officials have been a concern. They continue to be a concern. That, I mean, is probably one of the biggest things wrong with this league right now. The NBA has got to figure that out because right. there has been an officiating issue this year. But that's sort of a, a sidebar there. The biggest issue for most people with the NBA is the uh, supposed lack of, of parity, the predictability. And let's face it, you look at the NBA right now, certainly for the regular season, there's been all sorts of unpredictability. And then, as you mentioned, no Steph Curry, for the foreseeable future, he's out indefinitely. That changes things, I think, considerably for the Warriors. They're still, in my opinion, the favorite, but by leaps and bounds, as they were, definitely even without not. Steph, you think that you think that they're the I favorite think, think they're to come the, out of the West, even without Steph Curry, no, knowing that Clay Thompson isn't playing right now, Durant's being out, Draymond's banged up. Because I don't think you can call them the favorite anymore. If I'm, for all of those reasons, if I'm placing a bet. 
on an NBA champion today, right now, I'm still putting it on the Golden State Ooh, Warriors. I'm not. But I'm certainly not confident about my money in, in doing that. But they are, are still the team I, I probably feel most comfortable with just because of the ceiling. The ceiling is so incredibly high because if, I mean, even if Steph comes back in the second round and Clay, it sounds like we'll be back soon. Yeah, later on this week, they presumably. Ha- they, same thing with Durant. They haven't had the type of season that most people expected, and certainly they haven't had the season that they would have had if all four of those guys were healthy all the way through. And I, I, I was watching a bit of the uh, Golden State-Indiana game yesterday, and I think I heard them mention that they've only had four guys, those four guys, in 41 games this year. Half the season they've missed, or one of them, two of them have missed. Uh, so they haven't had the, the, that type of season that we were expecting, but maybe that's for the best, right? I, I mean, they don't have a ton of mileage on them right now, so for them, if, if they come back healthy, they're still the team that scares me. Well, what about that first-round playoff series against Utah? That's lining up right now. I know you eh. roll your Utah fed them earlier this eh. week. I know they were minus Durant, and I, I get that, but that's a, that's a red-hot team. Or what if the Spurs end up dropping to the seventh seed? And they sometimes, like, it's, it's improbable now that Kawhi's going to come back, but what if? There are some intriguing matchups that if you're the Warriors, you simply don't want. The team that I favor out of all of them coming out of the West right Houston? now, nope. OKC. No. OKC, okay. They're a team that went 5-2 and two against the Raps, Rockets, and Warriors over the course of this year. They've proven they can beat the big guns with Russ, PG, Steven Adams providing balance. I know Carmelo's a chucker, but still provides that, that other scoring option that good teams need over the course of long playoff runs. Once they shorten their bench, and, and look, they have next to no bench they're going to have to rely heavily on their starting five. But that's but, what you do in the playoffs anyways. That's not what right. you have to do, and then certainly not what the Raptors are hoping you have to do because their strength is depth. But, hey, I mean, for the most part in the playoffs, the uh, the general rule of thumb is you, you play the hell out of your starters. And that's a team I would not want to play against. <laughs> if I'm Houston, if I'm Golden State, if I'm anyone in the Western Conference, I just... They have that good mix of star power, the ability to put the ball in the hoop. And look, we can say some players just don't want win come playoff time. It's time that Russell Westbrook just like helps take that team to the next level. Look, one NBA Finals just for Westbrook and what he's been able to do in recent years. I mean, that's not enough. I know the West is tough, but this is, this is a guy who is a perennial MVP. Candidate, And we'll get into the MVP conversation in a few moments' time, but I, I'm just looking at OKC. That's a team that I don't want to face. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you, you want to be fully healthy if you're Golden State when you do see, if you do see OKC or Houston. Uh, I, I still think you can beat those teams. Without Steph Curry, that's how good I think the Warriors are, even without one of their four All-Stars. But you want to be fully, fully healthy for those matchups. That said, I, I mean, I, I think you can get past anyone else, even San Antonio, mm-hmm. even uh, New Orleans, I think you can get past any one of those teams with relative ease, even without Steph Curry. Because remember, you're replacing Steph Curry with Sean Livingston, who's a guy, that, I mean, he he could be a, a starting point guard in this league, not an upper tier one, obviously, but he's a very good player. Mm-hmm. They've got depth on that team. A- and the other three all-stars, like, I, I mean, these are... Iguodala stepped up. I, yeah. I, I get it. Um 
But still, the, the Western Conference with no Steph Curry becomes much more wide open. Let's put it that way. No doubt. Uh, we'll reflect upon the week that was, the ups and the downs for the Toronto Raptors. That's coming up next. Wheeler and Lewenberg with you. This is Jurassic Pod. DeRozan works over far side, left wing on Corey Brewer. Into the lane, spins, DeRozan lays it up and in. You have these two guys that dominate their position, or can, at every single night. It's a real problem for anybody else in the East, because all of those teams are flawed teams. The only team this year that has not exhibited demonstrable flaws is the Toronto Raptors. This is Jurassic Pod, Garrick Wheeler, Josh Wurmberg, at Wheeler TSN, at JLU1050. What a week for the Raptors. It should have been straightforward. You weren't playing any of the big guns, really, coming off the Cleveland game last Wednesday night. But since our last podcast, the Nets, the Clippers, and the Nuggets, it should have been a straightforward week. We're All not, three games coming at home. We're not the good luck charm anymore, I, Wheels? I guess not. Our powers are wearing off? Uh, it went from ugliness on Friday night in the game that just simply would not end. To a painful ending on Sunday against the Los Angeles yeah. Clippers as sweet Lou Williams took over that ball game. To finally some respite in a good fourth quarter against the Denver Nuggets to bring a win home and making it a 2-1 and one week, Josh. So Raptors fans, you can exhale a little bit, step off of that ledge. Just a little bit. Just a little. Come on. I mean... This was an actual question that was asked to Fred Van Vliet by a reporter, and I use that word loosely, Uh at shoot-around before the game yesterday. Fred was asked when it's time to hit the panic button, and he was not happy. He was not happy. His answer basically was, uh, I'm pretty sure we're still in first place, pretty sure we still have the third best record in the NBA. Panic button? Panic? Where, where do you pe- go out and purchase a panic button anyways? A panic button? Is that like the uh, Staples e- yes. easy button? That was easy. Um, look, I-, I will acknowledge that the panic s- button? That there were six games in a row that the Raptors had dipped in terms of form. Yes, they didn't play but, well. But now, con- that does con- not constitute a-, a panic button. I'm context, context, context. Like, 12 games in 20 days, the most hectic stretch of the season for the Raptors schedule-wise by a mile. Like, listen, maybe in past years we wouldn't have noticed it as much because the NBA schedule was tough the last few years, the last many, several years with uh, the four and fives and all the back-to-back. But the NBA spaced the schedule out this year, so it's so much more noticeable uh, when you have a stretch like that. It's really the only stretch that the Raptors have had this season like that. And listen, like that is really tough to, to play that many games in so few days without practice time. So listen, I think if you look at any team who's played that type of a stretch, you're going to notice some defensive slippage and you're probably not going to see record a uh, record as good as 9 is 9 and 3. They were 9 and 3 in that 12 game stretch. That's pretty darn oh, good oh, all things considered. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm going to break it down a little bit. I'm I'm going to go the the last 6 games before the game against Denver. Okay? And and that for me was a stretch where it wasn't what the record was. It was how they were playing. Well, that's the point, Which right? We, like, it's, it, once the fatigue hits in that situation, the first thing that's going to go is your defense, right? Your legs and those it, it, defensively, your defensive effort. Like, that's the first thing that's going to go. Yeah, but when, so, when, when, when you have a team that's as deep as the Raptors, I don't know if you can use fatigue as an excuse. 
I didn't like the way they were playing. And, and just the six games, Josh, they, okay, they beat the Mavs 122-115. Didn't play well at home. Gave up 115 points to the Mavericks. Then they, at home, they gave up 132 to the Thunder. Go on the road to play the Magic. Brought it home in the end, but it wasn't pretty. No. Nope. 93-86. Then they gave up 132 for the second time in a week. This time to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Then an awful game. The Coach Casey was not thrilled with the performance on Friday night. A 116. They give up 112 points at home to the Nets. And then you give up 117 at home in a loss to the Clippers. It's The 3-3 three and three record doesn't bother me. The defensive play does. Yep. And the overall approach does as well. So it wasn't what, it was how. And that doesn't indicate pressing a panic button. That just says, man, oh man, this team needs to sharpen up. And this is the definition of a swoon. A dip in form. And that is undeniable. They were not playing good basketball for a two-week stretch there. So I'm so I'm, I'm sitting in the in the middle of this, and I know that's not especially interesting in terms of the the hot in the, in the hot take era. But, uh, but I can I can sort of see both sides to this. So listen, I think first of all, if three if if losing three games, if losing it was three three losses in five games, right? Yeah, right. So there were it, three and three. I use that six game stretch because it, it, that was the six games right. that weren't really playing that well. Okay, so if if three losses in five games is the worst stretch of your season, that's You'll a, take it. That's a pretty remarkable season. Hundred percent with you. Um, second of all, listen, I, I I get it that they weren't playing well, and, and it wasn't just in the losses, and that's why actually I said after that Clipper loss that that was probably losing that game was probably the best thing that could have happened to them because you're right. I, I mean there were issues. That had been around here for a, a few weeks now. Mm-hmm. Most of them on the defensive end, and these are correctable things, but they were still very real issues. Now there are the obvious caveats, one of which I mentioned that you're playing a lot of games in in, in a short amount of time, and, and maybe I mean there's a lot of noise there, right? So there are explainable reasons for the defensive slippage, but that doesn't necessarily accuse uh, or, uh, that doesn't ne- necessarily excuse the defensive slippage. So, I mean, NBA teams should be paying more attention to the process than the results anyway. So you should be able to look at these games where you're winning and saying, okay, well, we're not winning the right way. We've got to correct these things. But I think it's human nature to fixate on the result. I, I think it gets your attention a lot more if you're a, a player, if you're a group of players when you've lost a few games, especially when you're not used to losing games, to say, hey, this is the wake-up call, this is the kick in the butt that we need to go out and correct these issues. So right. I, I thought I'm with lo- you on that. I, I thought losing the game against the Clippers was probably long-term for the best. And then this is where I'm going to segue with this. I was really impressed with the win over Denver, more than I think the score and the way the game played out would indicate. I thought the Raptors' defense was much better. I thought it was excellent for most of the game. And even when Denver went on their scorching hot run in the second quarter, that was them hitting some ridiculous shots, some really tough shots. And as a a team, as a defense going up against what what is the second-best offense in the NBA since the All-Star break, all you can do is contest those shots, right? All you can do is stick to your fundamentals defensively. Right. And what happens from there? I mean, if they beat you hitting ridiculous shots with a hand in their face, you shake their hand and say, okay, well, it happens. So I thought the defense was great. I thought in the fourth quarter they turned it up another level and put the game away. The bench was great. So even before that game, my level of concern or my level of panic 
I'll say, was extremely low. Uh, I would say from 1 to 10 on the level of concern scale, I would have gone 3, maybe 3.5. I said before the game against Denver, let's see what happens here. Now that they've had some rest, some practice time, let's see what happens over this stretch. And I'm still saying that. So we've got one game against Denver here where I thought the results was positive. positive. And then let's see, and that's why I say, and we'll go back to the start of this podcast, Wheels, that's why I say this is a big three-game stretch for me to see how legit were those concerns that we had a few weeks ago. See, I, I feel like I'm in a position where I don't need to feel like I'm hitting the panic button or anything like that and still not like the way the team played for two weeks. I t- look, like little things, Josh. Guys not fighting through screens. Like these are basic tenets of playing. The fact that Serge Ibaka, his form dipped. He was really struggling. He played a little bit better on Tuesday night, but I still think there are legitimate questions about him. OG Ananobi coming back from injury at the three has been seldom used, not as sharp, not as active as he once was. And when CJ Miles was out, there was a void in that kind of fifth, that tenth player, ninth, eighth, whatever you want to call him in that bench mob. You kind of realized how that unit together works so well in unison when you take one part away that things can kind of tumble down a little bit like these are just observations that anyone could make not saying oh my gosh you know the the place is burning down here but saying you know what things need to be better and I think those are two separate conversations I I just think like it's so understandable right I mean even though you're right you're watching these games and you're some of them are painful to watch Friday Sunday were two of the worst games to watch over the course of the year. And and that's saying something, Josh, because largely this year, even games where the Raptors have lost, they played well. They played competitive. Those two ball games were very difficult. And, and quite frankly, what the ACC was, a lifeless building on both occasions. I just think, I talked about the fatigue situation, which at this time, late in the year, when you're playing that many games, I, I get that. And then I also just think, like, it's that time of the year, right? I mean, right now, you're close enough to the playoffs that you should be trying to ramp it up again, but it's not uncommon, Wheels, as you know, for a playoff-bound team in early to mid, even like late March, to be going through the motions a little bit, especially when you're playing bad teams, and the Raptors did, and for the most part, they got away with playing poorly against these bad teams uh, because they're just that much better than them, but you're right. These are bad habits to get into, yet these are sort of common habits to get into around this stretch of time, and that's why I say this is going to be a huge week for the Raptors because right now, I'm not concerned. I'm not. Uh, But if those issues that we saw over the last couple weeks persist now through a stretch where there are fewer excuses, they've got a whole bunch of rest coming coming up three days off before the Boston game, and then you've got a couple days off after that going into the Cleveland game, so the fatigue issue no longer applies, and even the motivation issue no longer applies, right? Because it's no longer no man's land in the season. It's no longer the dog days. You're, you're It's right before the playoffs, okay. and these are big games, so yeah, that's why okay. I say if the the Raptors play well, if they hold up during this stretch, then what we've been talking about here is a non-issue. If they don't, then all of a sudden, yeah, it's it's a bigger concern. We're running long, so like, let's get into some of the issues. You wrote about Serge Ibaka this past week. What did you see different from Tuesday night compared to the Ibaka that we've largely seen over the last couple months, which has been, has it resembled that $20 million 
key, you know, big three, big four player on this team that he needs to be. Yeah, I, I thought he was much better uh, on Tuesday. I thought that what was, was the difference. Was it effort? Was it work rate? Yeah, no, it, it was effort. And it usually the fact that he hit some open shots. No, like, but that doesn't even matter though. I mean, it, that's gravy, and that's great. But to me, he was playing well even before he started hitting the shots. Because at one point, he was three for eight. He was sort of looked like Patrick Patterson. He was passing up some open threes, and then I, I, w- there was one possession he passed up an open three. Uh, somebody bit on the on the pump fake, and and he stepped in the arc, and, and it was like a wide open like eighteen footer or something, and he missed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looked like he had the yips. It was like Norman Powell or Patrick Patterson, but but for for. Ibaka, and this is what I wrote the other day, this is what I've been saying, this is what Dwayne Casey's been saying, the the jump shot is, is a very new addition to Ibaka's game relative to the time that he spent in the NBA. That's happened over the last few seasons, and it's become a big part of his game. But his bread and butter is still and should still be on the defensive end. That's where he made his name in the NBA. On the boards, too. Like, listen, he's averaging like six boards per game this season. That's the second low of, lowest of his career, the lowest since his rookie year. And his, his I think it was 1.2 blocks per game this year. It's a career low. If Ibaka is going to be the guy the Raptors need him to be, it's got to come on the defensive end. So to me, that was the difference. He was playing, again, he, Paul Millsap hit some impossible shots in his face, but it wasn't for a lack of effort. He was playing hard. He was playing well defensively. He was getting after it. I thought he was all over the boards. He was attacking the offensive boards, which you rarely see from Sergi Baca. So those are the things. That's what made him impactful for me. And then all of a sudden... The shot starts falling right. after starting three for eight. He hit three consecutive shots in the second half. So uh, that that's the difference for me. That's the Sergi Baca the Raptors are going to need in the playoffs, and I really believe they're going to need that Sergi Baca they because have to. With, without <laughs> him, without him, they they can't go as far as they want to go. It, it, it's that simple. He's too important. He's their best defender. He's their most important defender. And yeah, even offensively, like. It, it, it makes a big difference. Well, when in, he's the, in the shots. starting five, he's the best defender. I'd argue Pascal Siakam's your best overall defender. Period. Because he can guard multiple positions. He's got size, athleticism. Abaka should be, but hasn't be, and that's part I, of the I, reason I think, why they gave him so many points over the last I couple think, weeks. I think, given his usage, and, and he, he plays more than Siakam. I think, given his usage, he's the more important defender for the Raptors. But he right hasn't now. been better. That's no. the okay, problem. So yeah, be- better is the wrong term right, right now. Right. Uh, and I, Obviously, I, I think Siakam is going to be, if he's not already the better defender moving forward, the more important defender moving forward in future seasons. Right now, given their roles, Ibaka is the more important defender. And listen, the numbers reflected in the sense that when Ibaka is at his best, the Raptors' defense is at his be- is at their best. Ibaka's best month of the season was in December. Offensively, he was great, but even defensively, like he looked. Spry, he looked fresh. He had that bounce in his step, and that's huge for him. Mm -hmm. The Raptors were first in the NBA in defense that month. This month has been Ibaka's worst by far. The Raptors are 14th in defense this month. So there's an obvious correlation. It's not a coincidence. When Ibaka's at his best, the Raptors are at their best. I think there are so many reasons why the Raptors' defense have fallen off this month, but the fact that their most important defender hasn't been very good, like that's a big part of it. 
Uh, I want to talk Kyle Lowry, the birthday boy, turned 32 over the weekend. And maybe the guy that will take his mantle and take his job someday in Fred Van Vliet and what he's meant to this Toronto Raptors team. And tragedy strikes the G League. All that coming up as Jurassic Pod rolls on. Wheeler and Lewenberg with you on iTunes and TSN1050.ca. Lowry straight out top against Tornwell. Gets a screen from Valanciunas instead. Goes left into the lane. Lays it up and in. We're, we're pretty good. I mean, we're just having a little bit of a um, a little bit of a slide right now. But I mean, we're still one of the best better teams in the league. And uh, we just got to perform like that. This is Jurassic Pod. Wheeler and Lewenberg with you. Kyle Lowry turned 32 on Sunday. What did you get him, Josh? Did you get him anything for his birthday? I got him a nicely written article. Oh. I, I wrote something. I wrote something nice about just him. what he wanted. Yeah, right. <laughs> Good pub. The, I, what makes me laugh is Marcus Stroman this week not only requested uh, a subscription to the Athletic, but he also hit up the Raptors and said he loved a Fred Van Vliet jersey. So James I, Myrtle they, they is going to give him a subscription up. to the Athletic, and the Raptors are going to give Marcus Stroman. Uh, a Fred Van Vliet jersey. This guy makes like six, seven million dollars a year. What does he need a free jersey and like a five dollar subscription for? Pay it, man. Height doesn't measure wallet either. <laughs> uh, I wonder if I can get away with that. Just start tweeting out. I want this. I yes. want that. Give me this. Give me that. Yeah, the, must be nice. The rich get richer. Uh, but Lowry says he wants to play until he's forty. How long do you think this guy can play for? Forty. This is a dude who couldn't even get through a full season up until this year, <laughs> and he wants to play. To I 40. like the confidence. But listen, I mean, I, I think one, the fact that he he's really gotten in shape, kept his body in good condition over the last few years, that helps. Two, the fact that the Raptors, after all these years of saying they're going to watch his minutes, are finally watching his minutes, that helps. And then this is sort of an underrated element in something that he mentioned the other day, is that uh, while he still takes a beating defensively, he's taking all those charges and throwing his body around, but trying to uh, battle with the trees in the, in the paint to get those rebounds, offensively, uh, th- there's less of a physical toll on his game now just because of how perimeter-oriented he is, how Bingo. much the three ball has become such a big part of his game. So, Josh, I, can, can I just go? Uh, I'm cutting you off because I want to go there right now. Yeah. Like Something like 80% of his makes over the last month or so have been from distance. Like he's not even attempting shots from inside the paint. Sixty percent, sixty something, sixty-three percent of his uh, attempts this season have been from beyond the arc. So, does Kyle Lowry at his best? Like come playoff time, does he need to take that game inside, start driving to the hoop, like he does so well, or can he get away with just playing on the perimeter? Like, are we seeing the new Kyle Lowry, or are we seeing the regular season Kyle Lowry? No, I mean, I think we're seeing the regular season Kyle Lowry. I okay. think he gets it. I think he gets it. He he knows that he can't do what he used to do every game. He's not going to make it through a full 82-game season like that. Um, But, as we've also seen a a little bit more over the last few weeks, he's smart enough, he's good enough to understand when he does need to go into FU take over the game mode, right? And he's done it a little bit more. And the timing, I don't think, is a coincidence because DeMar DeRozan is going through his toughest stretch of the season. Offensively, he's in a bit of a, a funk. 
Sergi Baca hasn't been good. So Lowry's needed to take over, especially late in games, and he has. So I do think we'll see more of that in the playoffs. But I also I also think the fact that he's become such a good shooter, truly one of the best shooters in the NBA, and I think the best shooter in Raptors franchise history. I, I think that's going to go a long way, too. And the fact that he's fresh enough that he's got his legs in his shot now, he's shooting the ball as well as he has all season going into the playoffs, like, that's huge for them, too. That's huge for him. And, yeah, I do think all of a sudden he's got longevity in his career where back a few years ago when we looked at his body type, we looked at uh, how injury-prone he was and said, shoot, like, if he makes it to early 30s, mid-30s, that's going to be great. That's sort of what his approach was. Now, all of a sudden, yeah, I mean, he could play late into his 30s. The best sort of career, the, the best comparison for his career arc, and I've always said this, is Chauncey Billups, a good friend and mentor of his. Billups played to 37. He's a guy like Lowry who bloomed late in his career. He didn't make his first All-Star game like Lowry until his ninth year. And then all of a sudden he made seven straight. Lowry has now made four straight. So, yeah, I do think the way he's trending, he he is at his best now as he gets older. He's aging like a fine wine, Wheels. Uh, whatever that means. I just like wine no matter how old it is. It's just delicious and good for you. We'll have to defer to Matt Cause on that uh, one. Congratulations uh, to Kyle Lowry celebrating his birthday this past week. His 10th career triple-double in a Raptors uniform on Friday night was the best player in the court against the Nets. No ifs, ands, or buts there. And almost willed the Raptors to victory that night. Um, his backup his understudy, his protege, Fred Van Vliet, keeps on rolling along. I like calling him right said Fred Van Vliet, but steady Freddy applies. In his last four games, 16 points, 16 points, 16 points, 15 points coming off the bench and playing very important fourth quarter minutes, Josh. And you could just see Kyle Lowry on the bench yesterday with the, oh. what is the pinky finger towards the mouth like Dr. Mini Evil? Me. My yeah. mini-me, right? Because he, you got Fred knocking down a couple of corner threes, then he takes a charge on Jokic. Uh, he hits uh, a bunch of uh, crazy circus layups in traffic. Like, this is... And in those games, by the way, four three-makes, three-point makes, four three-point makes, four three-point makes, three three-point makes. This is Kyle Lowry 2.0 in, yeah. in, in a lot of ways. And, and But 24. <laughs> that <laughs> Eight helps. years younger. That helps. Yeah, and he's got a chip on his shoulder like Kyle did. Yep. But he, it works for him. And, I, I mean... The, the concern now for Raptors fans is about, okay, is Fred Van Vliet here long-term? You've explained it before. Just take 30 seconds and explain why it's more likely than not that Fred will be here for the foreseeable. The ball's in the Raptors' court if they want to keep him, and we, we have a pretty good idea. I'm pretty confident in saying that they want to keep him. He's a restricted free agent, so they can match any offer that he gets, and they have his bird rights so they can go over the, the cap and into the tax in order to sign him. Now, because of his contract, situation, undrafted free agent signed a, a two-year contract. No team, the Raptors included, are able to offer him more than the mid-level exception in the first two years of a deal. The mid-level exception, the full mid-level, will be around $8.5 million. So all that is to say that no team can offer him more than $8.5 million in year one or year two. So that sounds great for the Raptors, right? Because no one can blow them away with an offer at least for two years. But 
the concern and really the only concern for the Raptors is that some team that really likes Fred swoops in and backloads a deal, right? So they say, okay, we'll pay you eight and a half mil in year one and year two. In year three and year four, we'll give you like something absurd. $15 million, $18 million in those years. And all of a sudden, it's going to be much more difficult for the Raptors to match a deal like that because of their uh, because of their tax situation. They're right. projected to be in the tax. So they're probably going to make some subsequent moves. Maybe Norman Powell is on the move. Maybe they look to move JV again. Uh, but that's sort of the, the, the worst-case scenario for the Raptors. But I would say just looking at the market, and we don't know how it's going to be, but looking at the market, there's not as much money out there as there was a couple years ago, first of all. Second of all, there are a lot of good point guards around the NBA right now, probably not a lot of teams that need a great point guard. And then also, like as, as great as Fred Van Vliet is, as great as he's been, I still think just based on his size and based on all the things that caused him to go undrafted to begin with, there are going to be teams that say, do we want to pay this guy enough to come in and be our starting point guard? So I I think the situation is pretty good for the Raptors, and I think Fred, as much as, I mean, he's bet on himself, he wants to get paid, he should get paid, (laughs) right? He should get paid, but I I think there's a loyalty here to to the Raptors where I think there's a a respect, a mutual respect, and they sit down and they work something out. I'll still give Fred this, the bet on yourself is better than height doesn't measure heart. Agreed. Yeah, marginally but, but better. But maybe it's just because I like the player yeah. a whole lot more, the person a whole lot yeah. more. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm gonna leave that alone. I'm gonna play nice. Um, we gotta go. Um, a couple things I wanted to address. Well, one we'll address this next week. LeBron James making himself the favorite for MVP. And apparently Rudy Gobert has made himself the favorite for Defensive Player of the Year. What's with everyone just pumping their own tires here? You deal. There's no shortage of ego in professional sports, no. Josh. But the way that it's manifested, like if you are the MVP, you shouldn't have to tell people you are the MVP. I'm going to leave it at that. And then next week, maybe we'll get into why this entire MVP discussion is mind numbing. Like literally drives me crazy. It's also unnecessary because the, the there is no race. It's a one man race. Well, see, that's the problem with the talk about the MVP. It's a subjective argument that people, you know, put it, uh, define their case or make their case in absolutes. It's nuts. Uh, we'll save that for next week. So you know, get your ammunition ready. Uh, and you can come out firing. We want to send. We want to send our condolences, though to the NBA and G League community. Really, tragedy struck uh, over the course of the weekend. It was a final game of the G League season when Grand Rapids guard Zeke Upshaw, a swingman with the Detroit Pistons, G League affiliate, suffered sudden cardiac uh, death on the floor, collapsing on the court in Saturday's ball game. Uh, He was unable to be uh, resuscitated and ended up passing away such there's no way that any team player medical staff fan what have you can prepare for something like this unhappen uh, that, that could happen on the court before our eyes and it's just been an incredibly emotional week for the G League the entire NBA community and now Grand Rapids comes up and is forced to play a playoff game against Raptors 905 Friday night at the Hershey Center how difficult is that going to be it's unimaginable it's unspeakable Josh so or I, I know it sounds kind of crass and and you know it's not inappropriate it's just there's nothing else you can do than other than send your thoughts yeah. out to the family the friends and the community within the Grand Rapids and Pistons organization no something like this puts 
everything we've just talked about for the first 40-something minutes of this podcast into perspective because uh, basketball is a game. It's, it's entertainment. Yes. This is, this is a, a tragedy, and, and this is your biggest fear uh, as um, a, a player, as a fan, in, in, as a reporter, whatever, that, that something like this could happen. Right. Um, so, just brutal. Yeah. Uh, Zeke Upshaw was 26 years old, a Chicago native. Uh, we send lots of love and thoughts out to his family at this very difficult time. Um, I hate ending on a so- on a somber note, but we had to, you know, give a shout out to the to the family um, that's experienced a tragedy over the course of this week. We'll be back next week. Josh has built it like the most important week of the year. Let's continue to ramp this up. Yeah, man. A defining week for the Toronto Raptors, and we'll wrap it all up on next week's podcast. Good stuff this week, Josh, at JLU1050. On behalf of Josh, everyone at TSN 1050, our producer, Sean Lavery, I am Gareth Wheeler, and this has been Jurassic Pod.